Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates, ready to go. Tuesday edition of OutKick 360 from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Paul Kuharski is here. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Chad Withrow back with us next week. Plenty. When we say plenty, Paul, we have Plenty on the docket today A lot. from SEC Media Days. Uh, starts in uh, just a matter of seconds. We'll get a full report on every coach that spoke today with the media in Atlanta, where Glenn Gilbo and Trey Wallace have been providing excellent coverage for Outkick.com. In 20 minutes, one of those head coaches, Vanderbilt head coach Clark Lee, will join us on the show. Players, uh, reporters, Radio hosts and more throughout today's show as well. Plus, we'll recap last night's home run derby. And more importantly, Paul, the captain. The debut of the Derek Jeter feature on ESPN, which we thought was fantastic for episode one. Very, very good television. Too late. It it, it was very late. It was very late because the home run derby took a little while uh, because of some overtime sessions, among other things. Uh, Day two is underway in Atlanta. You don't want to miss a second of our coverage on 360 or at OutKick.com because if you tune out, you're missing something. And we're about to get the lay of the land for day number two right now with Trey Wallace of OutKick.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Trey Wallace underscore. He's been covering all things SEC for us on site. Trey, hope you're doing well today. I, I'm good. I just we, So it, it, it gets so crazy here. And you guys know this. You guys do Super Bowl Radio Row and all that stuff. But like, it gets wild because like Shane Beaver was talking three minutes ago. And I was like <laughs> rushing up here. And I was like, all right, we got a segment to get to. And Shane did a great job. Um, but it's, you know, in the afternoons, it's a little bit chaotic. And, uh, you know, the morning time, you know, with Saban. And then it was kind of like, <laughs> you have Nick Saban talking. You know, and then and then Clark Lee gets up there, and then you take a like a two hour break, and it's like okay, you got to regroup. And no, but it's been it's been good. You guys, y'all are going to be stacked today uh, with guests and uh, lots of lots of interesting comments uh, coming out of Media Days today. And you know, Mike Leach giving Netflix recommendations. Uh, so it was, it was just nuts. You never know what Mike Leach is is on 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 deck for, uh, especially whenever he's following a guy like Nick Saban. And Trey, you, you mentioned he just wrapped up with Shane Beamer, but that's a, that's the fill we want on the show as news is happening. Trey will join us uh, throughout today's show and throughout the week. Let, let's start with Saban, though, because he started the morning. Uh, NIL was certainly a discussion. Conference realignment was a discussion. If you if you want to make Saban upset, there are multiple ways to go about that. One of the One of the ways is to deal in hypotheticals. He hates them. But he answered a hypothetical, which is really more of uh, an inevitable end, I think, more than it is hypothetical situation that we are headed towards multiple teams joining both the SEC and Big Ten more than what we've seen. Saban, though, said it was the biggest hypothetical he had answered. But he did anyway because he wants to give his opinion on the issue. What did he say? 
No, I mean, it's just he wanted to give his opinion on the issue. And then he talked about how, look, the, the, the landscape of college football is changing. But he doesn't want to talk about it. But I promise you, he's a part of the conversation with the SEC on expansion. Like, that's the big thing in my eyes. It, it, it's like, okay, you have certain coaches that that have that that leverage within the conference to be able to talk to Greg Sankey or Greg Sankey to be able to pick the year of Nick Saban or, or whoever else and, and talk Jimbo, whatnot. And get their opinion on what the conference should do. Not maybe not take their word and, and and run with it, but at least try to figure out the lay of the land. And and Nick Saban, he says, Oh, you know, I don't like to deal with hypotheticals, but then okay, let me give you a six-minute answer on what I think about it. And it's like, okay, man, you, you gotta stop with this. But I but I look at it overall, and I think that we're on that path where it's happening. And and if we get to the 18 to 20 teams. I think that was the number that was throughout at him. Um, you know, then, then so be it. I think we will get to that point in the next four years. I think you're going to have two or four more teams join this conference, potentially even more. Um, but Nick Saban seems to be kind of down that spot where, you know, I, I don't care. You know, I don't, he doesn't care. He doesn't care what happens four years from now. Um, but asking the question, he's got to be able to have an answer for that. And I, and I think he did. But another thing that is interesting to me, Jonathan, and I was thinking about it right when he was answering it, is Nick Saban going to be around Alabama when college football expansion hits in four to five years? Like, that's something that I thought I was thinking about. I was like, is this coach actually going to be around when these teams join or when we do have an expansion of like six more teams or whatnot? Like, so, you know, I, I'm not breaking any kind of news here, but I'm kind of just asking myself that question. So sure. I think, you know, Nick Saban, I think, has his dealings and has his opinions, and I'm sure Greg Sankey knows about it. I think he answered it the way he did. That way, if another hypothetical was asked about, you know, the next time you it guys meet Georgia and Atlanta, you know, he can yeah. say, I hate this, move on. Uh, but right, if, exactly. if Nick Saban isn't going to speak up, who is? Like it, it, he carries the most weight of any college head coach whenever he speaks at the podium. And if he's against it, he needs to speak up now instead of the inevitable happening and get on the record and out front with it because everyone is discussing the narrative of conference realignment and NIL right now. And, and, and he hasn't shied away from his efforts in, in trying to tell everyone how he feels. But there's no reason to say, like, guys, I, I really don't want to, the, the hypothetical to, to, you know, dominate the room today. It, it's Saban's day to speak, and man, it, if it's not Nick Saban leading the charge, I don't know of a coach that's more ready to do so. It, Lane Kiffin did his part yesterday, for instance. Right, and Mike Leach did his part today in his quirky, awkward way. But my opinion is, well, why isn't it, I agree with you? Why is Nick Saban not talking about this? Like this is happening. These two teams are coming into the conference now. I get that you want to look at the upcoming season and you just want to focus on that. Okay, whatever, that's fine. But it's not hypothetical with what we're getting at. This right. is happening. College football expansion is happening. And and the 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 Almighty Nick Saban. Let's let's be honest. He runs the Southeastern Conference when it comes to certain things. And I, I just think we're in this situation right now where they have got to go forward and figure out the way to go. And Nick Saban's the one to, to do it. We'll see if he speaks up. Trey Wallace joins us live as we start Outkick 360 in Atlanta at SEC Media Day. I mean, it, it's not like he said anything big and grandiose about NIL, but he said there's got to be some uniformity in protocol and how it's implemented. I think, you know, that's rehashing to a degree, what's been said before, but it's putting his weight behind it. 
again and consistently. Um, so I, I don't think it's a, a lot to say why uh, to ask why he wouldn't do so with with conference realignment. What what's kind of the well, big thing? Go ahead. I think Paul, the biggest thing is he keeps talking about NIL, but then he keeps talking about that number, that three million dollar number. Like he, he, he talks about NIL and how things have changed and the money's getting weird, but then he turns around and says, "Well, look, we made three million dollars last year. You know, our players made three million dollars." So it's like he's he's I don't want to say downgrading it and then promoting it, but it kind of feels like that's what he's doing when he's talking about NIL. It 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 he's yeah, not coming out and just blame. You know, uh, go ahead, Jonathan. Sorry, Trey, but like Saban. Saban showed us all whenever he adapted to the offensive. He, he doesn't like the, the current offensive setup, the hurry-up style offense uh, in college play. football, right. but he adapted to it. And, and that's what makes him so great is he will adapt to things even when he doesn't want to do it for the sake of winning. So he's doing that. Philip Fulmer would have adapted to this as well, even though he hates where college football is right now. Just as an example of the old-school mentality um, – it, but even the, Paul, even the new school mentality of Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach with the air raid offense, like they don't like where this is headed. And it, it made me think of what Commissioner Sankey brought up and he, what he was heralding yesterday was at the spring meetings, he was boasting that they had the most, uh, I guess, down to earth, honest assessment of the SEC within the closed doors of the, the head coaches that were in the room. And you got to, at least I would believe that if Kiffin and Saban and others are doing it publicly, everyone behind the scenes is doing that to Sinky. I mean, I, I would think so They're, too. But what's the movement on it in terms of see NIL? that? That's what that's what makes great it to have good conversation. But that's what makes it inevitable because I think they all know. There's stop. not really they don't have a solution for it, but they just they're against where it's going yeah right? and if you stop it what uh, well the big Ten's not gonna match right. up to you stopping it and you, you got to keep up with the joneses yeah i i think guys overall i think nick saban kind of he, he kind of said his piece he talked about it he's, he's adapting to nil behind the scenes and that's fine if he wants to play that out behind the scenes that's cool so, so. what what did uh what did mike leach say uh, Mike Leach walked up on stage after a six-minute introduction from Greg Sankey, and he just blew it away because he didn't say a damn thing. It was fantastic. He didn't give an opening statement. He got up there, and he started talking a little bit about Netflix, and then he started talking about you know what they're doing going forward with the football program, and, and somebody asked him about it. It was like, oh, you know, you got your recommendations to watch, and, and my man Leach, I love Mike. He just got up there, and he started talking about uh, you know, he's watched Yellowstone. He's watched term. <laughs> he's getting into the terminal list. I just wrote a full article about it. It was fantastic. And I then can't he wait said to his players. It. Then he said his players got into Stranger Things. Got him into Stranger Things. Um, so it was it was Mike Leach. He's quirky. And in my article, I wrote he reminds me of Michael Scott, who has the the mind of a college football genius. That's what he reminds me of. And and you know what he he's quirky, but he's fun. And he got up there and, and he, he talked a little bit about expansion. He talked about he's an Oklahoma sympathizer uh, because he coached at Oklahoma before, assistant coaching in the past. And he's ready for them to join the league uh, in Texas and Oklahoma. So, you know, I, I and he's the one that talked about it as well. And I, and I went through that. So I look at Mike Leach and I think he is a um, he's great for the Southeastern Conference and and the. <laughs> the uh, the intro he got from Greg Sankey. And then literally he walks upstage and asks, he, no, all he says was, okay, I'll take questions now. 
He didn't give an opening statement because he said it's not. He said it wasn't worth it, Jonathan, because yeah. he's going to answer the same questions that he did with an opening statement. So it was great. It was great. I, I love Mike Leach our, our, and, and Trey. I, I've been told that we have one of his players standing by. Yeah, we do. Um, we've got we've got Austin Williams. Here, awesome. And uh, and he's going to pop on with you guys. Y'all going to have a great conversation. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's a great segue from talking about Mike Leach getting right into Austin Williams. I look forward to it, yeah. and I know you guys will as well. Hey, check back Thanks. in, and I want I definitely want to discuss Will Anderson and what he had to say about Texas A and M later in today's show. Absolutely, guys. Y'all enjoy Austin. Yeah, Austin Williams is about to join us, Paul, and um, I, I wonder, he's the senior wide receiver. He already has his um, uh, degree, undergraduate and graduate. Sixth year. And um, I, I wonder if he's been given the recommendations on the, the Netflix series for, for his head coach to, to take in during the offseason. Austin Williams is uh, the senior wide out for the Mississippi State Bulldogs, and he joins us now on OutKick 360. Austin, good to see you, man. How's it going? Thank you. Uh, doing very well. Uh, we were just talking with Trey there about what, what Coach Leach had to say today, and, and he let everyone know that he's been taking in a ton on Netflix. Did you, uh, did you add to the recommendation list that, that Leach should have uh, been watching this offseason? Uh, I heard him talk about it on the flight over, and uh, <laughs> yeah, all types of different tangents. But I mean, what I, what I finished recently, uh, Piggy Blinders. That was something yeah, recently. Got yeah. through in there a little bit. So that I was need, a good show, you know? That's a show I need to pick back up because I'm like two seasons in and I went off on some uh, recommendation from Chad or Paul and now I need to I need to finish this. Um, craziest conversation you've had with, with Coach Leach, maybe at practice or even during a warm-up? Oh, man. <laughs> I know y'all have obviously seen all the interviews and kind of different tangents it goes on, but I mean, he's just such a smart individual. He can connect the dots for so many different things. I mean, you know, like you're talking about football. The next thing you know, he's talking about, you know, General George Patton and, you know, war strategies and then tying a knot between the two or Indians. And it goes off a lot of different ways. He manages to connect it back. Um, I don't have necessarily like a great, like, actual conversation, but like in terms of like Coach Leach, just kind of things he does, like every Friday night, uh, in season four game, we all go see movies as a team. And he'll wait and watch every credit to the very end, no matter what. Like we'll all load the bus, and he's still there watching it. Now that is that is quirky. Uh, sometimes those roll fast too. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes slow. Yeah. Sometimes slow. Hopefully fast. Yeah. Austin Williams, our guest, a senior wide receiver, no stranger to SEC media days. He already has uh, his undergraduate and graduate degree, and the highest honor that you can have in the SEC is the H. Boyd McWhorter Scholar Athlete of the Year. And uh, he has been honored with that within recent months. Congratulations on that, Austin. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So, uh, Makai Polk, uh, big numbers last year. How do you and, uh, and Wally work to, to kind of take on those numbers in this high-flying offense? Yeah, Makai was an awesome receiver for us coming in, you know, over 100 catches. I think it's going to be uh, good for us this year, though. I think Will, uh, we're definitely going to space it out more. We got some really talented guys outside. We got some depth. There's gonna be a lot of camp. I mean, there's gonna be competition, honestly, every position, right? So it's gonna be cool to see in fall camp, especially kind of where those the extra hundred catches, you know, where it's gonna go, where it's gonna filter down to. And I'm ready to see outside a couple guys step up because I think we got some really talented players out there. You committed to Dan Mullen at the time, right? Yes, sir. Man, great. The difference in offense for your position, going from Dan Mullen's offense to the air raid. How did you transition into that? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, kind of two different worlds there. But, I mean, honestly, the, 
looking back at it, it was really cool to experience and get to kind of see different parts, learn different schemes, kind of different thought processes and philosophies. But I mean, when Coach Leach showed up, you know, I mean, that's the best news I could get, right? You know, here in air raid, throwing it 60 times a game. You know, it's pretty easy to transition to. That's what you want to transition to, a little extra motivation there. So, I mean, that was, that was awesome. How, do, how does the playbook thickness compare from Mullen's offense to, to Leach's? Yeah, I know people see Coach Leach's uh, play calling sheet. You know, it's a little index card, whatever it may be. Because, it's, it's, there's, you know, there's not 400 players in our offense, right? Like, we, we got like a rep-based offense. There's just a ton of intricacies within each play. So, I mean, you got to run each play a ton to kind of get the actual connection and flow with everybody. But, I mean, it's a lot smaller than Coach Mullen's. Will Rogers now in his third year running this thing. How how much room is there to kind of expand it and get to the the full the full air raid now? I think he's definitely uh, continuing to grow. I mean, from two years ago to this past year, he made leaps and bounds in the offense, and just watching him in this offseason, I'm continuing to see him to grow. Uh, he's a you know he's a film rat. He's always in there watching. I mean, he's watching cut ups of uh, Texas Tech when Coach Leach was coaching him back then just to try to learn, see what they did, get different certain looks. So I think it's just knowledge of the game is going to help us out. You, uh, you, I mentioned earlier you have your master's degree in business administration. Are you, um, are you trying to get into coaching, or do you want more of like an NFL front office role in sports, or sports at all? Uh, so honestly, I'm trying to figure that out. Um, I think both those routes are something I'm looking at. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out. I really don't know how the front office pathway works, but that would be really cool. And I also am honestly interested in coaching. I just love being around the game. Yeah, And yeah. honestly, that, that something, I'd, you know, to try to finance route as well. So I, I need to decide. I really don't know. Well, I should have mentioned that. Your undergrad in finance, um, That that's why I thought of like the salary cap aspect of, of an NFL front office. Um, my guess is the way to get in it would be the path that you would know through uh, all the finance geniuses that uh, <laughs> that you uh, would hang out with, and I don't. I know nothing about the math world, and that's how you get to the front office instead of the coaching route. I guess so. All connections, huh? Uh, how do you uh, how do you like Atlanta compared to to Hoover, where uh, the SEC media days have been? A, a easier flight for you because I, I know whenever we checked in earlier today, the guys uh, you guys were still in Starkville. Yeah, I mean, 55-minute flight. It's been smooth. It's kind of been a whirlwind, honestly. I've been just going room to room to room. So, I mean, the people have been nice in both places. I can't really compare. Hey, uh, Austin Williams has been our guest. Uh, overall thoughts on Mississippi State now? I mean, it, you, you're one of the vets. You're the leader. You're team captain. And knowing that, and Paul mentioned not just the quarterback, but this has been a, a young crop of nucleus uh, for the team that is now to a point where maybe better results are in the very near future as things come together. Where are our expectations right now for the Bulldogs? I'm uh, excited. We, uh, you know, we definitely have a chip on our shoulder always. We're looking forward to this season. Like you said, we got some guys who started young, kind of grow up. We got a really good nucleus to grow around. Some good transfers came in. I mean, I'm excited. Uh, I try not, you know, set expectations or exact numbers or something like that. We kind of game by game outlook, but. We're definitely, you know, trying not to worry about the outside noise and you know, have a little chip on our shoulders and see what happens. Best of luck, man. Stay healthy, and we look forward to watching you play this, this fall. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. There's Austin Williams, uh, senior wide receiver for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Uh, I love his uh, comments on Leach. Um, and, man, that, thinking about Mullen, because we've had Mullen on the show. Uh, we hope to get Leach on the show. They are – no one's really comparable to Mike Leach, Paul, but – offensively one goes through the run the other guy's going pass all the time 
And you're, if you're a wide receiver recruited yeah. to one area of the field, uh, like Austin was, that's a very different turn off the street and in the, in the path that he committed to. A big story for their offense this year is re- replacing Makai Polk. That's 1,046 yards, 105 catches. It's a lot to go around. And where where is the ceiling for Will Rogers? You hit a hit a good point there because uh, we we see the ascending player, and if he can be the su- surprise, may be a, a a little bit strong for where the expectations are because he's one of the top quarterbacks in the in the SEC. But if he goes to that next level, he could be the talk of the conference because we already know Heisman Trophy winner Bryce Young is Heisman Trophy winner Bryce Young. Lost their two starting tackles, too, including Charles Cross, obviously, yeah. who's, uh, who's in Seattle. now. Coming up, we'll switch gears and go from the SEC West to the SEC East. Vanderbilt head coach Clark Lee joins us next on OutKick 360. But first, Aurora NutriScience and VitaLifeScience.com. V-I-D-A LifeScience.com is the website for great supplements. This is where you can see more information. OutKick 360 season ticket holders receive a 15% discount with the code OutKick360. Typical pills and capsules for your vitamins and supplements are not well absorbed in your body. But here's Aurora, unique, cutting-edge, nutritional, and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensure greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. I use the vitamin C, the vitamin D3, and the glutathione, but they have so many more to choose from. Simple single-use package you can grab it go in the morning. Larger containers for the fridge, you can put it with your shake or whenever you're working out at the gym. Aurora supplements absorbed in the bloodstream through the GI tract, ensuring it's not wasted like a capsule or pill. Visit VitaLifeScience.com for more info. V-I-D-A LifeScience.com. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360 at VitaLifeScience.com. OutKick360 continues from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Bureau, Smoky Moonshine. Paul, your thoughts on the first episode of The Captain. I, I watched this as well. Um, but I'm curious to where you land on it. We haven't talked much about it. Really uh, telling. You know, I'm, I'm a huge Yankee fan. I was uh, an adult during this era, uh, you know, working my second job um, out in California. And uh, I, first off, you know, so I, I don't remember Jeter being any kind of presence during the 95 season. Mattingly's last year when the Yankees lost in Seattle, very disappointing time because it was Mattingly's last year. But Jeter had been called up during the season. Then he wasn't on the playoff roster, but he was in the dugout. And that was a big experience for him. Uh, Gene Michael, uh, the GM at the time, was talking about the value. Shoal Walter was talking about the value of, of a young guy being around to kind of experience that stuff, even though he wasn't getting at bats or any playing time. Yeah. But then the buildup to all of that through his minor league stuff and his struggles. And, you know, he's such a golden player when he took over the next year, 96, when they won, that he... You don't imagine him struggling as a minor leaguer. And he was a scrawny high school kid in a draft where he lasted to sixth because everybody took college kids. And he really struggled. He talked about wanting to go home to Kalamazoo. His dad talked about his mom at one point saying, you could come home. And his dad saying, don't say that. Don't say that. He got promoted for the last two weeks just because the one league played two weeks longer and they wanted him to have two weeks more of at-bats. He made 56 or yeah, 51 it was errors. Yeah, I wrote that down. That was crazy. 
I mean, uh, what a struggle. And uh, I think that's part of what makes a guy like him in a sport like that is enduring, uh, you know, those, those growth pains. Well, so that also shows the projection that you have to have in Major League Baseball that I just, I mean, it's like, it would be like recruiting in college football, right? Like you're, you're seeing guys that are 16 years old, 17 years old. I mean, I, I didn't turn 18 in high school. And you're projecting them for the majors like four or five years down the road if you're drafting them that high. And to be able to see Derek Jeter then, the way he – turn your mic down, please. Uh, The way that you heard the the, the commentary from the scouts saying, yeah, we project him. And Showalter called the scout – you'll know his name better than me – and said, are we sure we got this right? Yeah, I called the GM, Gene Michael, because they're watching what's happening down there with those errors and and him hitting so poorly. He's like, you know, our reputations are on the line here with what we're – waiting on yeah. and are you and sure we got this right come up are you sure we got this right and he said yeah gene michael really the guy and this comes out of steinbrenner's suspension with the howie spira stuff digging up dirt on winfield uh suspended gene michael took over and gene michael was really well respected as uh, for the scouting elements and he found guys who had it quote unquote right and i don't know about posada and Pettit and Bernie Williams, if they were coming out of high school or college, I, I suspect high school also, but the, all those guys had it to a degree, and that was the core of the team that came out and became a dynasty, Jeter, Jeter chief among them. Um, but uh, it was cool to see highlights. The other thing I didn't know, Jeter you know, was talking about, he was a Yankee fan because his grandmother, who lived in New Jersey, his mom was from New Jersey, was a Yankee fan. They'd come this summer for for long stretches in New Jersey and they'd go to games. But I had no idea, and I thought this was really cool. He said, you know, I followed them all, and he rattled off a bunch of guys that he was fans of. But Winfield was my guy. And that Winfield was in this fight with Steinbrenner and Howie Spira was hired to dig up this dirt, a mafia-connected guy and everything. That's what got Steinbrenner suspended. And Jeter said... I knew that there's stuff going on between Steinbrenner and Winfield. This is as a high schooler or even as a younger kid, but I didn't want to know anything about it. This is something that like reminded me of me. Like if there's conflict between two people I really like, I might not want to get into it because I don't want to ruin my good feelings about something especially as a kid i would have done something like that too so he knew there was strife between winfield and steinbrenner and he looked away from it even though he was all into the yankees he didn't want to know about trouble between his guy and the owner of his team which was cool also here's a kid that grew up saying his whole life i want to be shortstop the new york yankees and then and he didn't know that they had the sixth pick in the draft he expected to be drafted first or fifth is what everybody told him and they had great video of this ancient computer and and then punching in the names, right? They get the phone call and they punch in the names of the guys. I mean, it was it was uh, like like MS DOS or whatever they used to call that back in the day. Yeah, it was just, just coding, ridiculously primitive. The um, the cool thing, knowing that it was like the VHS camcorder that was recording every move that night when he got the call, right? It's not like today. The draft today would be, you know, you'd have different camera angles set up in the living room. Right. And you just had the camcorder But he did know enough to tell everybody, uh, don't call me 
during these hours this afternoon, I'm expecting to get a call because it's going on. And then he's he's on the phone for for what 30 seconds and then he passes the phone to his dad who's you know clearly going to handle the business affairs part of it and his little sister says grandma's gonna have a heart attack (laughs) (laughs) knowing that it's it's the because it's the yankees um steinbrenner being suspended that was a holiday for me I, i mean i remember uh just how excited i was and they showed a clip of john sterling he was at a better stage of life in terms of mental acuity, still a terrible announcer, <laughs> but coming back from a break, uh, it was uh, the top of the fourth inning of a game and saying like, this is awkward. And I don't really know how to announce this during a baseball game, but announcing that it had come down, that he was being suspended and, and then fans in the stadium started to catch wind of it. And you could see them standing up, and applauding Yankees fans were completely that was a bad stretch for the Yankees and fans were catching wind of it and it was spreading through Yankee Stadium and they were gradually standing up and applauding must have been really weird for the players who I'm sure had no idea what was going on thinking there was a score or news from somewhere and not knowing what it was but that was a huge time of relief it did exactly what we as Yankee fans thought he's out of it they're going to have to put somebody else in charge who's not going to meddle and muddle. And, in fact, they drafted all these guys, and they didn't deal them away. Cheater got called when his minor league manager called him to tell him he was getting called up because Tony Fernandez hurt his hand, and uh, he thought he was getting traded. But he wasn't. He was getting called up. The, the, the other cool thing I liked about the first episode, and I hope that there's got to be more of this, um, they have the footage of the, the minors. So you've got Derek Jeter meeting Andy Pettit and then with Jorge Posada, and then they, they, they're talking with them about what Jeter was like the first time they met him, and they're big-leaguing him. I don't think they had been called up to that point, but they're acting like, who is this scrub? Yeah, well, he's still a cr- scrawny kid. But they're playing on the same team in the minors. He tried to make a foray with Pettit and told him he looked like his uncle and Pettit he doesn't remember Whether the conversation. He liked it or not, just didn't respond to him, didn't speak to him. And he did what you would expect Derek Jeter or any big time player coming up who pays his dues and makes it did. He just put his head down and went back to work um, and fought through a really bad stretch. Then he came back and when he got to AAA, I think it was Columbus took off and won minor league player of the year and turned into what he was supposed to do. But he had, he endured a lot of crappy play two years worth. It seemed like of really not getting it done and not living up to expectations and dealing with everybody looking at him saying, this is the guy. Yeah. Swinging a miss is what most people thought. Right. And, and rightfully so based on what happened, 50 plus errors that, that first year, um, first episode of seven total. Yeah. Cool. Weekly. I think weekly, uh, I think, I don't know if it's Monday nights or if they just started on Monday night because that, uh, that was a thing. It's a poorly placed. I mean, that's going to be dominant on the East Coast. It started 10 o'clock Central Time last night for us. So that starts at 11 o'clock last night. I mean, I, I, I guess in New York, most people are putting on their DVRs, but I think it's poorly conceived in terms of the timing. Yeah, I mean, just, I mean they, well, what they did is they replaced the, the celebrity softball game. They moved that somewhere else, and then they 
because they usually just rerun that after the home run derby. Let's recap the home run derby when we come back. We'll move uh, Clark Lee, uh, Vanderbilt head coach, will be later in the show at some point. Uh, we will chat with him, and we've got uh, a couple of Vanderbilt players, including the newly named starting quarterback, Mike Wright. It's official. He's going to start for the Commodores as they take on Hawaii in week zero, not week one, week zero, uh, later uh, this or next month, I should say, later this summer. Stay tuned. More coming on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Our SEC coverage continues down in Atlanta for SEC Media Days at the College Football Hall of Fame. I'm Jonathan Hutton from Outkick 360, joined by Alabama defensive back Jordan Battle. Jordan, great to have you on the show, man. How are you? I'm great, man. Just kickstarting the day. Uh, just hoping I have a great day today. It, explain. So it, all, all the players from across the, the league go through this. Mm-hmm. At Alabama, it's just different, quite frankly, because every year it's not just high expectations. It's championship expectations. What is the anticipation year in, year out in Tuscaloosa like? Yeah, uh, just making sure everybody focused week in, week out. You know, um, even in the off season, off season is where we get better. This is where we can, this is where we can start, kickstart the season. So uh, just we're just working, so working every day, coming back, coming back. You know, getting getting right before the season. You know, it's making sure everybody maintaining the weight, making sure everybody eat right, make sure everybody hydrate before we go out on the field for for seven on seven. Just the little things right now that that create the big things for the season. What is it like going against Bryce Young in practice? Oh, it was great, man. You know, knowing that you're knowing that you're going against arguably one of the best uh, quarterbacks in the in the, in, the, in the um college football. I'm sorry, not NFL yet, but in <laughs> in college football, uh, it's just it's just great, man. Uh, he's he's very smart back there. He's he's very poised in the pocket, and he tries to look off his his DBs, which helps us a lot back there in the secondary. Where have you progressed the most throughout your college career? Now it's going going to be a senior, first team All America from Pro Football Focus. Mm-hmm. Where has the the biggest development been in your game from high school to now? I feel like the biggest development is uh playing playing faster. Uh, in high school, I didn't play as fast because I probably didn't have that drive that I have now. But uh, coming to Alabama has helped me play faster. Help me want to help me want to line up line up faster and get the call and get ready for the play. And I think that's just the, the the thing that that sets us apart from other teams that that Alabama mentality. Jordan Battle, our guest, uh, Alabama defensive back. How much does the championship game sit with you all off season? I mean, yeah, of course, yeah, that game sits with me, sits with me all the time. Um, I have to I have to keep that on the back of my mind. But uh, new, it's a new season, and we're trying to focus on this new season coming up. And uh, we hope to have a great season this year, and uh, and just keep fighting on. What What is Saban like behind the scenes? I think we have this rough, gruff mentality of him. Mm-hmm. There's been some, you know, behind the scenes cameras before with ESPN and other things at the lake. We yeah. rarely see much of him in like a private setting that you would have on a flight to Atlanta or something like today. Mm-hmm. What what is the head coach like? Oh, he's a he's a he's a character, man. Uh I love Coach Stavent. Um day in, day out. He knows how to keep the keep the team engaged or, or keep the keep the DBs engaged in meetings or whatever. But uh, he's a he's a great guy off the field. 
I think I think people people should get to get to be around him more because he is a, he is a very funny guy. Jordan Battle, our guest here on Outkick 360. Do you keep up with the, the conference expansion and all the discussion in the offseason like we do? Uh, not really. <laughs> I don't really focus on that. I think uh, I think focusing on focusing on the team is is more than enough. Man, it's it's been quite the talk. I mean, Texas is coming into the league soon. I know you guys got them this year. Do you peek mm-hmm. ahead to the schedule at all? Are you allowed to admit that you do that? Oh no, we never, we never peek ahead <laughs> in the schedule. <laughs> we always, fo- we always focus on the on each game, each week. We know we can get anybody's best at any moment, and we know, we know every team want to be us. So we have to keep, we have to keep our focus on on what you weekend, 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 week out. Which, which, uh, what receiver in the in the conference has given you the the biggest battle? Uh, year in, year out. Uh, and you wait. Repeat that question. You said which repeat receiver in, in the in the SEC gives you the biggest battle each season? Um, I wouldn't say anyone specific, okay. but uh, I know I know week in, week out in practices, I get arguably the best receivers in 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 practice. So uh, that helps me out. That helps me out in the games. Um, just competing every day in practice helped me help me be more comfortable in the game. Set the expectation for us uh, from Jordan Battle's perspective as uh, you're making the rounds today at SEC Media Days. Uh, where should we place Alabama uh, yet again this preseason? Well, I feel like you guys can, can place us wherever. I feel like we're still going to go out there and, and play our game, play play weekend. We got focus on what we need to do to, to get better each week uh, and, and, for, and never forget that, that end goal and what that, that one goal for, for the team is, which is to get a national championship. Jordan Battle has been our guest. Hey, thank you for the time uh, this AM, and uh, we will certainly catch you down the road one Saturday in Tuscaloosa for sure. All right, thank you, man. Nice meeting with you. Yeah, same here. There's Jordan Battle, defensive back for the Crimson Tide. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Coming up, Vanderbilt quarterback Mike Wright. Plus, Aaron Murray is on the show, former Georgia quarterback. We'll talk about the current Georgia quarterback, Stetson Bennett. That's coming up in an hour and 10 minutes. Outkick 360 rolls on. Paul and I both enjoyed the home run derby. I'm with him. It felt long towards the end. I wanted it to hurry up so the the Jeter uh, episode one would start. But... You know, I had it not been leading into that, I'm probably not complaining about the length of the Derby last night. It was good. Yeah, and uh, had I won my bet, yeah, <clears throat> I know I would have been uh, less upset. Rodriguez, um, f- fantastic with uh, and the fact that he was going first, so he could put a number out there and have somebody catch him instead of um, just needing to beat a number and being able to drop his bat, uh, I think made it more compelling. 
his pitcher also was the best. Um, Pitching Ninja, an account I mention a lot on Twitter, has one superimposed thing of six pitches all as they reach the plate clumped together and it it's less than the size of a basketball he was phenomenal at putting the ball right where julio wanted it right high and inside and when he was throwing him high and inside he was having a field day just getting in a rhythm and ringing him off the numbers also i was watching more the stat cat stat cast telecast on espn2 which had good and bad about it but his volume in the first two rounds, he was getting way more pitches. Like he would get 47 pitches or in the forties when other guys were getting 27. So their rhythm was fantastic and he wasn't tiring out. Who was that? And, and this is when Soto I, won. I'm thinking about this. Cause you watched a different broadcast. I, I wasn't a fan of the last night's broadcast for two reasons. And I'll, I'll start with the second first. And I'm going to work my way back to my main reason. But first, I felt like last year they had someone on the the color commentary that was so precise on say they would say Alonzo needs to get to twenty four if he can get to twenty four with a minute thirty left he's got a shot to catch him and then take a timeout here I would take a, you know there was none of that last night that they had a year ago and I I'm, I don't know how they switched it up or who was in that seat but. Um, I, I thought it was lacking that, and they need to uh, they abide by the rules. I realize this is a home run derby I'm complaining about. But the timing is the, a the, problem. The timing where the rules are, you when the ball is hit, the ball that the batter just hit it has to hit the ground or go over the fence come before down. the yeah, the ball must come down before the next pitch is thrown. And there's an up standing back there who gives the pitcher a a hand up and then a point. Well, from a broadcast standpoint, I don't think people understand watching it and then calling it are two different things. And Carl Ravitch was trying everything. It's a struggle. But if you're trying to find out if the 17th Homer is in fact a home run or it's going to the wall at the warning track, while also the pitcher is now throw and while that's in the air you've got the next pitch going to the plate you're looking back and forth and it's i mean you need a spot or somebody in your ear telling it, you it's going one sort of won it with a you know a bat flip and but i think Ravitch thought yet. he had just tied it yeah instead of won it like it, so because uh, he knows up, it's off off the bat but you're looking for the ball to yeah. see if it goes yeah and it the stack awkward and you just can't there's not a smooth way to make that happen unless you're abiding by that rule on the stack cast they had a box that showed like every you know it's a blue square for a miss and a red square with an hr in it for everyone that goes but that also is behind yes. because they need yeah. to to make sure it's whatever you know and the count might be accurate but that box might not be accurate. It's, it's a little choppy, and they're not enforcing it. And, and when it's a bet-on thing, I think there were one or two home runs that also were yeah. allowed like at the end of the clock. I think uh, our guy, uh, well, your guy Ravel was bitching about it. He's well, saying there's millions of dollars on this. you got to be precise with well, that. And that both were underdogs, of course, but one was plus 750, your guy. Yeah, I would have And then nice Soto return. was plus 450, I believe. <laughs> So, so, I mean, there, there's a big gap there. And on the stat cast, it was driving me crazy. Look, I'm always going to have complaints about the, the broadcast because that's who I am. Jason Bonetti mm-hmm. and Mike Petriello <clears throat> were good. Jessica Mendoza, who I generally like, 
<clears throat> was really hamming it up with the two people that were against Pujols early. I can't remember who lost to him in the first. And then she's really hamming it up with Soto, who's Soto, who's a, a big fan of Pujols. Pujols was his hero. And she kept saying, she said it at least three times, you have to wonder, does he really want to beat his hero? Does he really want to beat him? <laughs> And these guys were trying to tamper down, but uh, Teresa and I are both saying, bleep, yes, he wants to beat course. him. It's a competitive situation. There's money at stake. He wants to get to the finals. There's a big trophy. There's well, a lot of honor in it. This is ridiculous. Stop saying it. Pujols, I don't think he'll make it through another round. His, his right arm was cramping up, and he was just there for the swan song wave and goodbye. And they're also showing too much of him while the balls are flying out. I want to see the balls flying. I'm with you He gave that. away his gloves after the first round. He had to go get them back from somebody's little kid. We didn't have Berman, though. Paul he was in the pregame. Oh, he's there? Yes. Yeah. Brian Brown is next. We'll go live to Atlanta at SEC Media Days. <laughs>